Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and I get to be the minister here. I'd like to introduce you to someone special this week. This is Maggie and Maggie is looking for a place to live. All you have to do is pay £1 and correctly guess her birthday. Maggie is living with Fiona Anderson at the moment, so you can either contact Fiona through Facebook, message St Ninian's by going to our Facebook page or email me at revstuartcutler.com at gmail.com and include your phone number in the message and Fiona will get in touch with you. Obviously, there are lots of dates that have already been taken, so that's why you need to get in touch with Fiona so that you don't end up with the same date as someone else. The diary with all of the guesses will be at the food bank this Sunday at between 1 and 2pm and that's at the church round at the hall. So if you've got a donation that you want to make to the food bank, you can also have a guess at Maggie's birthday while you're there. I'm also always a bit hesitant about what might seem like self-promotion, but throughout the last year I've been hosting a podcast called Control Alt Delete Slash Church. Control Alt Delete are the three buttons that you hold down on your computer to get the force quit menu to come up when the programs stop working. I've been talking to people about church and lockdown and what that might look like as we come out the other end and the things that have stopped working along the way. But this week though I was able to speak to Dr Donald McCaskill. Donald is the Chief Executive of Scottish Care. That's the umbrella organisation for most of Scotland's care providers. We were able to talk about the challenges the care sector's faced in this last year but also about his vision for a proper care service based on dignity and human rights. It's important and inspiring stuff. I'm just there to ask the questions. You can find the podcast on my own website at stuartcutler.com. Just like the services, it comes as a video and a podcast. So let's worship God. Joining me to lead worship this week are David Gemmell and his daughter Morgan. You'll notice that David chose to do the reading and left Morgan with all the big words in the prayer. John, chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. Jesus goes to the temple. It was almost time for the Passover festival, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. There, in the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep and pigeons, and also the money changers sitting at their tables. So, he made a whip from cords and drove all the animals out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He overturned the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins, and he ordered those who sold the pigeons, take them out of here, stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that the scripture says, my devotion to your house, O God, burns in me like a fire. The Jewish authorities replied with a question, What miracle can you perform to show us that you have the right to do this? Jesus answered, Tear down this temple and in three days I will build it again. Are you going to build it again in three days? They asked him. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. But the temple Jesus was speaking about was his body. So when he was raised from the death, His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and what Jesus had said.
It's the Passover. And Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem to the temple. And when he gets there, he's confronted by stalls and pens and cages full of lambs and pigeons and calves, all to be sold to the pilgrims for sacrifice. There are also money changers because you're not allowed to take Roman money into the temple. So it all has to be changed into local currency for a small commission, obviously. And Jesus clears them all out. But why? People are required to present a sacrifice at the temple, so what's the problem? Often this passage is explained as being about two things. The first is confrontation. Jesus is somehow setting himself up in opposition to the temple authorities. We usually read this passage in Holy Week. The other three Gospels place this story there, so it becomes one of the things that just keeps piling on the pressure as we continue towards Jesus' trial. The second thing we talk about is that Jesus is upset at what the temple's been turned into. A profit's being made from people's obligation to present that sacrifice. Those two understandings are absolutely legitimate and I, I agree with them both. But I think there's also something else going on here, something even deeper. I think this is a story about identity. Both Jesus' identity, but also the people of Israel's identity too. This incident happens at Passover. And Passover is a celebration of the liberation of the slaves from Egypt. It's the day when a group of slaves changed their identity. They were set free. But we know that like many who have been imprisoned or enslaved, the idea of freedom can take a while to get used to. Not having that structure, not having someone else tell you what you can do and where you can go, well, it can all be quite overwhelming. Even if the circumstances you've been in have been pretty awful. Having to work out a new identity is hard, especially when it's just you. Imagine what it's like when it's a whole nation who have to try to come to terms with their new reality. We're going all the way back to an important moment in that journey because without it, none of the rest of this will make much sense. So let's go back to Exodus 20. And this is what it says. God spoke, and these were his words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt when you were slaves. Worship no God but me. Do not make for yourselves images of anything in heaven or on earth or in the water under the earth. Do not bow down to any idol or worship it because I am the Lord your God and I tolerate no rivals. I bring punishment on those who hate me and on their descendants down to the third and fourth generation. But I show my love to thousands of generations of those who love me and obey my laws. Do not use my name for evil purposes, for I, the Lord your God, will punish anyone who misuses my name. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. On that day, no one is to work, neither you, your children, your slaves, your animals, nor the foreigners who live in your country. In six days I, the Lord, made the earth, the sky, the seas, and everything in them. But on the seventh day I rested. That is why I, the Lord, blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Respect your father and your mother, so that you may live a long time in the land that I am giving you. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal 
Do not accuse anyone falsely. Do not desire another man's house. Do not desire his wife, his slaves, his cattle, his donkey or anything else that he owns. We know these as the Ten Commandments. They're the rules God gave to Moses on the mountain. But I want you to hear them in a different way today. Not just as a list of things that we're not supposed to do, but as a statement about the identity of the people who were first given these rules. It starts with an introduction. Hi, I'm God. I'm the one who freed you from slavery. I did that, no one else, so you don't need any other gods. I am the real deal. But this is a bit more than me. This is about you and who you are. In the beginning, I created humans. I made them in my image. So you don't need to make statues or icons of anything else to give you a clue what I look like. Just look at one another. Or look in a mirror. You are my likeness. Imagine hearing that. Who, me? I'm just a slave who doesn't have a master anymore. How can I be a creation of the God who made all things? And God says, you're not a slave anymore. I'm nothing like your Egyptian masters. In fact, the only thing I'm going to command you to do is to have a day off. Also, I want you to celebrate your heritage, honour your ancestors. There's nothing there to be ashamed of, despite what you've been told. I made a promise to your ancestor Abraham and you are part of that promise. And all of that should be enough. You don't need to be jealous of anyone or angry with anyone or need anything because you are mine and I love you. Can you imagine being told that? Can you even for a moment wrap your head around what it must have been like for those escapees to be talked to by God like this? Who us? Yes, you. And now fast forward one and a half thousand years to Jesus, standing in the temple in the capital city of the land promised to Moses and those slaves. At a festival celebrating that moment when they were set free, telling them that they've forgotten who they are and that they have absolutely no idea who he is. The temple's important. It's a symbol of identity. It's a place where God is worshipped at the very heart of the nation. So what's the problem? People, including Jesus, have travelled for miles to worship in the temple. Jesus calls it my father's house. So he doesn't have a problem with the temple as an idea. His problem is with who the people have become. Let's take sacrifice as an example. A sacrifice is something that's costly to you. It's not a tip. It's not a minor inconvenience. It's something that's supposed to be significant. So there's a difference between when you grow or breed and feed and look after a lamb and then you take that with you to the temple as a costly offering. That's different to when you turn up and buy one at the shop. Sure, it costs you money and you've worked hard for that money, but it's not yours. The cost is different. No point of sacrifice is that it's a sign of gratitude. A response to that statement by God that you are his and all you have has been provided for by him because he loves you. Sacrifice has become an, ob an obligation, not a response. It's become a business, not an act of devotion. It's become an imposition, 
rather than a celebration of freedom. Remember that amazing statement made to those newly freed slaves? You don't need to make idols or images because I created you in my likeness. The people have forgotten that. They've gone back to thinking of God as distant and far off, locked in a room in the temple where they only need to go and visit once in a while and make an offering so that God won't be angry with them. How do you help people to see that God isn't to be contained? Well, standing in front of them is a pretty good start, don't you think? Tear down this temple, says Jesus, this body. I am the temple. And so are you. Because the temple isn't about God being in one place and you coming to him, although there's nothing wrong with coming to worship God. But the lesson of the wilderness was that God was with them wherever they went. And they had to relearn that lesson in the years of exile in Babylon. But they've forgotten again. This confrontation between Jesus and the temple leaders is another one of those moments when everything the people believed about themselves and about God is turned on its head. Tear down this temple. This temple, this body, this place where God is. God is there, standing among them, standing right in front of them, not locked in a room where no one can go. And so when they ask for a sign, Jesus tells them that God will show them what he's always wanted for them. God will show them that sacrifice is something that God himself is willing to embrace on the cross, but that sacrifice is not the end. If it all ends up at just the cross, then the whole thing has just been about God keeping his company in our misery. And that's nice. It's helpful even, but it's not all there is. There's more. So much more. Tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. Resurrection. The defeat of death. The end of fear. The sign that this life is not all that there is. And then there's ascension. After the resurrection, when Jesus ascends up to heaven, only then is the sign complete. God's plan is for us to be united with him. Because we are his. And he loves us. This is who we are. This is our identity. And we should never forget it.
Loving God, we come before you in humility, seeking wisdom bathed in your eternal gift of love. We pray for our world. This past year has brought great pain to so many people in every part of the world alongside disease. The problems of injustice, greed and inequality continue unabated. The issues that we face seem insurmountable, but we pray for the confidence to answer the call for us, not only be witnesses, but to be activists for love and justice. We pray for this country as it continues to struggle to find its way through its health problems, as well as many other political and social problems that continue to plague the lives of the poorest and most marginalised. Help us to care more, give more and love more. And we pray for our leaders that they will work for the betterment of all people and do what is right, not what is politically convenient. We pray for your church worldwide and here in Scotland as we continue to work for your kingdom. Help us to make decisions and to act for the good of your church, your mission and all your people. We pray for ourselves and our community gathered online or later in the week, as well as those living in parish, that they will know peace and security, that they will know the true and radical love of God and God's people. Help us to live out this gift today and every day. Amen. With a framework of love to live by, let us go in peace to love our neighbour, love the stranger and love God. With the grace of God, the call of the Son and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this day and always. Amen.